Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to ask a pharmacist about getting naloxone for their first aid kits at home or work. No prescription is needed. Naloxone can rapidly reverse an opioid overdose and restore breathing. Opioidresponse.info. It's good to have everybody here for today's Political Rewind. Friday, we're getting set for a big weekend. And boy, after the kind of news we've all been dealing with, uh, both the intensity of the news, the sadness of the news, uh, we all need uh, some kind of break. Wouldn't you agree, Jim? Yeah, I would. would. Uh, Producer Tom Faust is already on it. He is in the control room with his green shirt on, laughing hysterically. (laughs) (laughs) Ready for the weekend. It's... um, uh, I want to. I want to say, this is an exciting weekend for a lot of reasons. Number one, Atlanta United is back in action. They played New York in the Arthur Blank Mercedes-Benz Sports Palace on Sunday afternoon. I'm taking my family down there. But but just as important, Galloway, today the Premier League kicks off its brand new season. Liverpool is playing in the first match of the season. It starts right after our show is over. I mean, it'll be 7 o'clock at night, 8 o'clock at night in England, but they're playing on NBC Sports at 3. Oh, how exciting. Oh, come on. That's Jim Galloway. He, of course, is the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper, and he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. Leo Smith, Republican strategist. I think fair to say, lately, uh, Leo, Republican troublemaker. <laughs> uh, we'll talk a little bit about how things have settled down uh, for you since you were mildly critical of pre- some of President Trump's comments about race. Um, and we'll get to that a little later in the show. And I'm really pleased to welcome back, after far too long an absence, Professor Audrey Haynes, political science professor at the University of Georgia in Athens. Audrey, it really is great to have you back. We've missed you a lot. Well, I've missed the show, and I've missed you, Bill. Yeah. Uh, You start class next week? Next week. Classes start on the 14th, and we are ready to go. I think um, the number of accidents has already increased in Athens uh, starting yesterday. Uh, What are you teaching this semester? This semester, I'm teaching Intro to Applied Politics and a giant section of Introduction to American Government. Oh, okay. So a lot. we should point out you do run the Applied uh, Politics program there, which trains young people who are interested in political careers in how to pursue, in preparing themselves to, to go out and to, pursue them. Right, to join the political industrial complex. Yeah. Yes, right. but hopefully with a, a lot of training in ethics and political science and all kinds of things that will make them better political leaders and ethical practitioners. Well, good luck when classes start next week. Uh, Cesar Mitchell, former uh, president of the Atlanta City Council, candidate for mayor a couple of years ago, uh, now an attorney. Is uh, on his way here. He uh, sent us a note that he's making his way in from Gwinnett County, which can be sometimes really difficult. But uh, Caesar will be here, and we're looking forward to seeing him. We'll just bring him in as soon as he arrives. A couple of uh, news stories that I want to update you on. Uh, First, a national story. You know, we've all seen that the uh, El Paso uh, shooter, Patrick uh, Crucius, published a manifesto on 8chan in which made it clear that he was going to go to El Paso or made it clear that Mexicans were going to be a target of his in some form or another. But the Washington Post has just moved a story. I'll read you the lead. The suspect accused of killing 22 people at an El Paso Walmart last week told authorities that he was targeting Mexicans and confessed to carrying out the shooting rampage when he surrendered to authorities. Uh, That comes from police reports. So, Jim, I think it's the first time we've had a first-person acknowledgement by the alleged shooter himself that, yes, indeed, he was targeting Mexicans. Right, right. This was verbal communication and not some some suspicious uh, posting. We're going to, in a little while, talk about how all this is playing out throughout the week on the federal level in Congress. Congress um, and in the White House. But let's turn first to what's going on in the state. There's another breaking story there. Uh, a group of civil rights nonprofits got together at the Capitol today and held a news conference. Uh, Galeo, the Georgia Association of Latin Elected Officials, um, the Anti-Defamation League, uh, and a couple of others. 
held a news conference to urge legislators to finally pass hate crimes uh, law, a hate crimes law in Georgia. Here, Stephen Fowler of GPB Radio News was down there. He quotes Jer- Jerry Gonzalez from Galeo as saying, Georgia should not be one of only five states that does not have hate crimes legislation. It's a shame and a travesty that still to this day, Georgia is one of the five states that doesn't have that legislation and it should change. And then he talks about El Paso as a heinous crime of violence, a purposeful hate crime. And of course, Jim, one of the things that's been pointed out is that, God forbid, if there were a shooting like this that targeted a specific religious group, ethnic group, racial group in Georgia, while the person could be prosecuted, there's no hate crime statute right, to prosecute right. there, there, under. The, 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 if, uh, under state prosecution, there would be no, the prosecutors would not be able to, to ask for extra time or uh, extra punishment. Uh, because of uh, because of because of the the targeting, uh, it would be different, of course, if federal federal uh, prosecutors. Exactly, and, and and isn't the case just like so many other times that Georgia tends to lean on the side of if there's already a federal law, then what's the point in having a state localized law because the federal law would override the whole thing anyway. Well, Chuck F. Stration, the Republican uh, from northern suburbs, got, came close. He introduced a bill, Jim. And, and it's still, got, alive. It's still, it's still alive, alive for the 2020 session. Um, but one of the concerns, Jim, is, as you know, that we've dealt with on this for a long time, is that the the reason that in the past the legislature has refused to act on this is uh, it was willing... They were willing to uh, create a hate crimes law that uh, uh, was about uh, religious groups, about racial groups. They did not want to acknowledge that it was uh, that a hate crimes bill that protected gays and lesbians should be uh, uh, turned put into law and, here. And, and this bill by Chuck Estration does does yep. that. Yep. Uh, it it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, some pressure put on the Senate to move that move that thing. Yeah, that's I say, and, stopping. And, and and I will I will tell you what if you are a Republican in Georgia, you are looking at the suburbs. You're saying that may not be a bad idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and we're going to talk about that today, that's for sure. Caesar Mitchell, you made it. Yeah. Stuck on, on I-85 coming in from Gwinnett? Yeah, I, I should have taken a scooter. I don't know why I did <laughs> We'd have to do that before what? Yeah, as long PM. as it's yeah. uh, before 9 p.m. <laughs> Thank you for coming in. No, it's yes, good it's to have you here. I already introduced you, yeah. and I'm glad you've arrived uh, really at the beginning of the show. All right, thank you. It's great to be here. Good um, to see everyone. So, uh, Jim, let's... Uh, open this up for conversation, but you start this off, instead of starting with federal uh, legislation that's being talked about and that sort of thing, let's go right to Georgia. Galeo and uh, ADL and the other organizations basically positioned us to do that. And so did Sam Olins, who, the former attorney general of Georgia, a frequent panelist on this show. Sam was on Dennis O'Hare's political uh, podcast show this morning over at our friends at WABE. And he said something surprising in some ways for a former conservative Republican attorney general. Right. He made two points. He said he said that uh, a red flag law uh, would be a state responsibility and it can be drawn up as long as it's drawn up carefully mm-hmm. and gives the uh, uh, this is a this is a, 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 a law that would permit a judge to order weapons seized from a person judge to uh, be about to do himself or others harm. He said, "You know, if you if you, if you give the give that person enough access in court to to uh, to challenge that decision, and and we could we could pass that that legislation." But he also singled out a a a a, a very odd bill that that we've had in in Georgia, and that is uh, if if you are involuntary uh, 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 involuntarily committed to a, a a hospital for 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 uh, for mental reasons, that that after five years. Your name is purged from a list that keeps you from uh, from owning a, a, conce- a having a concealed weapons permit, and he said that's ridiculous. That's that's the word he, he used. He, yes, he did. He called it uh, quote dangerous to society and dangerous to law enforcement uh, in talking about just that. What a ridiculous law it is. That law. Uh, 
Caesar, we were kind of trying to find it. Maybe one of our listeners, because we have a lot of people in the legislature who listen, will remember when that law was passed. But it never made a lot of sense to many, many people because it allows those who might be dangerous with a weapon to become invisible. Oh, absolutely. And so I, I really applaud uh, Attorney General Sam Mullins for bringing the issue up and certainly bringing the issue up when maybe it's not that popular from his quarters to do that. Um, Audrey, we um, we need to weigh, want to get you to weigh in on, on this as well. And in fact, let me set this up. And, and Jim, well, all of you can help me with this. As we talk about Georgia and how uh, Georgians have reacted, political leaders have reacted to gun laws, I think it's interesting to go back and take a quick look at history. Mm-hmm. So go back to the election of Roy Barnes, governor, the Democratic governor, 1998. Roy Barnes was proudly, proudly uh, showing off his endorsement by the National Rifle Association, right, when he ran right, for Right, right, and I'll even take you, I'll take you four years before that. Zell Miller writes a, about the same time, Zell Miller writes an op-ed piece uh, ch- chastising Democrats for, for uh, becoming, uh, a na- his, the book was A National Party No More. Yeah. And he, cha- he chastised them for challenging the NRA on, on gun positions. So that happens. Mark Taylor, another Democrat, mm-hmm. former lieutenant governor, runs. Mark Taylor, too, proudly says, I'm a member of the IRA, glad to be there. Uh, NRA. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. NRA. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jason Carter, much more recently, running against Nathan Deal in 2014, votes for and gets severely criticized, Audrey, mm-hmm. for supporting a bill which uh, became known by as critics as uh, by critics as uh, guns everywhere legislation. Called himself essentially a pro-gun Democrat. But my point being, Democrats have had a proud history of running as pro-gun advocates in well, this state. And- but, but, but and then, ahead. if I can throw in, and then, then, just last year, you have you have Stacey Evans running for in the Democratic yeah. primary. She gets a D from the NRA, and she's she is she is drilled on by Stacey Evans in the primary because Stacey Abrams, Abrams. I'm Stacey, Stacey Abrams, <laughs> got an F, and she's bragging about that F. Yeah, yeah. So suddenly everything turns, Audrey. Well, let me just put it in a longer historical um, perspective because we have about twenty years of data on um, the uh, public's attitudes towards uh, gun rights versus gun control, and what you do see is you see some gaps between different groups. Um, Women, for example, have a large gap in support for uh, gun rights than men. Mostly men are gun owners and so on. But what we have seen is in terms of gun rights over the last 20 years, that number has increased. We might see a dip after a shooting, uh, but then it just crawls back upwards. And then in terms of gun control, actually we've seen that decrease over the last 20 years, support for gun control. So politicians are responding to what what they believe is necessary in order to win that group. But there is also a gap in the suburban vote. Uh, you know, the rural vote is the strongest in support of uh, gun rights, uh, suburbans less so, urbans much less so. So depending on where you're at, your audience may be a little bit different, and they do respond to that. I'll mention presidential candidates, too. Uh, remember when John Kerry was pictured carrying a gun in a sporting outfit? Um, so there's that, there's this great belief in support of gun rights. Um, but at the same time, you know, the framing has changed. It's about gun violence now. It's not about taking away your right to a gun. It's about how do we limit gun violence? And I think that there's some movement on the Republican Party now because a lot of their targeted voters that they need and those suburban women, um, women of color as well, potentially, you know, they're trying to get those individuals there. That may be happening in in Congress, we, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But Leo, so far we've had nothing but silence from Republican leaders in this state. The governor has said, well, I'm looking at it, I'm weighing what we might want to do. The Speaker of the House 
has said he's really backed away from this strongly. So, you know, you know, Democrats have moved into this anti-gun position increasingly, and yet Republicans still have to stand up and say, yes, we were the ones who, uh, over the last couple of years, number of years, number of sessions, expanded where guns can be carried to the point where you can carry a gun almost anywhere— uh, a governor who believes that basically you can carry a gun without a permit anywhere. So Republicans have either got to stand strong for those positions to to get the uh, support of their very conservative base or start figuring out within the state what to do next. Well, I'm appreciating the professorial sort of analysis of the difference between gun rights and gun and, and ish, concern about gun rights and gun violence because I think that's where the Republicans are going to receive their help. Um, any type of cover that Republicans get from an electioneering point of view will be packaged in the framework of we're against gun violence, against human beings. We're against gun violence. And that kind of puts it in the right perspective. How do we decrease the violence as opposed to how do we decrease gun rights? Republicans will never be against gun rights. Well, again, I want to differentiate between what's happening uh, in Washington and what's happening in the state. Caesar, I sort of thought the other day um, that when President Trump uh, stood out there by the helicopter uh, before going to El Paso and Dayton and said that he did think we should have some sort of uh, background checks that, uh, and he's gone a little bit further since then, I did think that he, under the best circumstances, he could start providing cover, not just for Republicans on the Hill, but for Republicans here in the state of Georgia who are so strongly aligned with him. That didn't really happen. It happened a bit on the Hill. It didn't happen here in Georgia at all, to the best of my knowledge. No, I, I think there still is a, a strong divide and a strong chasm. I think, you know, uh, you know, the framing issue, I think that's the really big issue, framing. How are we framing this issue up? I mean, gun violence versus uh, gun safety, anti-gun versus gun safety, uh, and really what uh, do these terms implicate in terms of action? Uh, I was a bit surprised to, to hear the president talk about background checks, but you're talking about you know, you know, saying this in the wake of two horrible tragedies. Yeah. So you had to say something. Uh, but I still think it's going to go back. Everyone's going to go back into their corners and you're going to have this debate over nomenclature. And then this debate that's going to uh, roil around whether or not we should act or not. I really think, quite frankly, from a Democratic perspective, that we've got to not use the term anti-gun. Uh, okay. We've got to talk about gun safety yeah. and reducing gun violence. You know, now, you know, Leo, you you seem to imply that, you know, well, if we talk about gun reducing gun violence and we may get Republicans to move, there's a part of me that thinks that there will still be some resistance to moving anywhere. Yeah. Uh, so let me chime in with um, some polling data that Pew picked up. Um, uh, they did a great uh, piece in 2017. And, and let me tell you what the low-hanging fruit is where we generally have agreement. And this is national survey. One, preventing mentally ill people from purchasing guns. Number one agreement, uh, high 80% support. Background checks for private sales of, at gun shows, and that's that gun show loophole. Within people who own guns and people who don't own guns, own guns with people who are Democrats, with people who are Republicans, those two things have a supermajority of support. And finally, barring gun purchase by people on no-fly or watch lists. Now, remember... During the first two years of uh, Trump's administration, there was that point where they tried to get this passed, right. even to the point where the Democrats were having a sit-in. I called my member of Congress and talked to them and said, you know, if they can't fly because we're so worried they might, you know, be a terrorist, maybe we shouldn't let them have a gun. And I was told that I was violating someone's constitutional rights. So... I think that there may be somewhat of a shift. Let, let me ask you: Where does does, your, does does the Pew polling show any any uh, move any possibility of movement with with the super large magazines that some of these rifles and and shotguns? That's number have? five. No, that's number five. So forty four percent of gun owners support banning high capacity magazines. Seventy four percent of non uh, gun owners do. So that's that's five out of ten. So it's not quite in the super majority. Um, it's that bump next stock, group. Bump stocks? Well, that you, allow a, kind of a machine gun-like? Well, you know, uh, 
Trump Of course, was, the president yeah, has already mm-hmm. acted on bump stocks. Right. Yes. So the mm-hmm. president has already done it. And, you know, and I think it's important to point out is, you know, I just pulled up an article from uh, February 20, 2018, where they discussed that, you know, Trump's been talking about background checks for quite a while. He, this is this predates. This is uh, sort of around the time of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas School uh, yeah. shooting. He said Parkland. the same thing, that he thought background but checks. But then he so, backed down. Well, and but he's yes, gone, but he said it. He said so, it, so. but he backed down. <laughs> and he's also gone to the NRA um, and spoken to them three times in a row. Yeah. Sure. They're, they're an election. They are large. I mean, look. They love let's him. let's let's yeah. just be frank. I mean, that is a huge just like teachers unions. Teachers are a large body. People play, you know, the fiddle for teachers and he's playing the fiddle for a large voting base. I mean, let's let's be grown up about this. Let's hang on. Hang on. I don't want to equate uh, the teachers in the, a large armed <laughs> voting base. Well, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Jim, uh, we do have a couple of bills in the Georgia legislature. And I, I on Monday when I mentioned them briefly, I unfortunately got the authors wrong. One is a bill that was uh, 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 supported by or authored by uh, Democratic Senator Jen Jordan, who wanted to take weapons out of the hands of domestic abusers, people uh, who were convicted of a, right, a, of, convi- a mis- of misdemeanor right. domestic abuse. And she started to make real progress with that bill, but eventually it uh, dissolved, the support right. for it dissolved. Right. The need for that bill, the, the additional need for that bill is there, there was a, 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 a kind of a footnoted uh, state court of appeals decision that said Georgia law as written, under Georgia law as written, uh, judges don't have the authority to order uh, the, the seizure of weapons from, uh, from, uh, from, from spouses in temporary protection orders. So that's a, that's a that's quite a big deal. So that bill could come back in the 2020 session. At the same time, another Democrat, Matthew Wilson, has basically the red flag legislation that we're talking about now on a federal level. Right, and that has I, I don't think that has even gotten a hearing. Yeah. So Caesar, what what do you imagine uh, with those measures uh, still alive at the very least? It's a biennial. Uh, session so twenty uh, twenty session all the bills that were there are are still up unless they've been defeated and uh, what, what do you think the appetite's going to be for a Republican dominated legislature to do anything about those measures or any other kind of gun control measure and by the way I say gun control and even Democrats right Caesar don't like gun control gun safety, gun safety is so much yeah. more innocuous that way <laughs> it's, it's something that at least allows you to start the conversation yeah. across mm-hmm. the spectrum uh, are you asking me what I yeah what do you think, think or what, what do you I think hope? well uh, look. What, what I what I think is that the legis- the legislative session is four months away five months away uh, we'll see if we're still talking about this then. Unfortunately, that's sad, uh, but we'll see if we're still talking about the issue. I think it has the potential of being a significant campaign issue. The question is whether or not Democrats are going to push it. Right, right. And and, and, and I would agree with Caesar here. I, I would say that that uh, whether the, those issues are taken up right uh, in the legislature next year will de- uh, depend on how worried Georgia Republicans are about their standing in the suburbs. Yes, but Caesar, you just said you're not certain Democrats are going to push it. Do no, you? I, I'm not certain that Republicans. Oh, you said it. okay, good. Yeah, I thought I, I, I missed. Think it's okay, going to depend so on I whether just, or not, and so right. it, it depends on whether or not. Democrats push Demi- it. Democrats are already pushing it. There's yes. a there's a, a Democrat Shay Roberts uh, in House District 52. She's uh, challenging Deborah Silcox again, and she put something out this week. Guns were front and center of her announcement. So Bob Costa, who is one of the Washington Post's real star reporters, especially since uh, President Trump came into office, was in Atlanta recently. Audrey, he uh, wrote a piece for this morning's Post. In which he, and by the way, would love to share a link to it with you, but they're behind a paywall, so unless you subscribe to the post, that link won't take you very far. But Audrey, he wrote a piece saying what we've kind of uh, talked around, but can now dig into a little bit more, the fear that the gun issue could really cost Republicans maybe the 6th and 7th district uh, chances to uh, uh, hold those seats or win those seats. 
and could really hurt Republicans in legislative races where there are uh, many suburban women, particularly independents, who are really being turned off by uh, what's happening with guns. Well, you know, one of the things that we've seen in terms of um, the support for the Republican Party is that there has been uh, a loss of independence. There's been a, a transition, a loss of um, women from the Republican Party moving over or or becoming less attached to uh, the partisan area. But, you know, I would say, too, the thing that they... There's been a, a shift. When, when the two uh, gun events occurred, there was all of that linkage to uh, potentially coordination and these young men who are an important part of... Trump's base. I mean, one of the places that we've seen Trump's base grow more than in any other one is young men between the ages of ages of 18 and 25. And if you, young white men, young white men, to be exact. And part of their campaign strategy is right now to target the 17 year olds who are about to turn 18 who are young white men. So couple that with two young white men going out and doing something so devastatingly horrible. And then the 8chan and linking it to white supremacy. That doesn't play well for the president. Leo, That's dangerous. It, Leo, you've uh, been a political consultant. Do you have any candidates in this cycle so far, by the Not way? Yet. Okay. So if you were consultant for any of the Republicans in, let's just say, if you were Karen Handel's consultant, if you were Brandon Beach's consultant, two Republican candidates for the 6th District congressional seat running against Lucy McBath, how would you be advising your your Republican uh, uh, clients to talk about the gun issue right now? Focus on science and technology. What does that mean exactly? Meaning, let's take as much... It's hard to do when you have situations that are just horrible, families are hurting, people are afraid to go into Walmarts. These things are very rational fears. However, as a legislator and as academics, people have to start using scientific processes to examine you know, cause and effect of laws and the outcome of laws. And and then, then start to study this and be academic about your pursuit. Take time, study it, start to create outside of any type of lobbying. Be be willing to have the emotional maturity to let the lobbying stay in his own room, get in, be academic about this, and figure out what are, are the best All right, practices. but what's fascinating about what he just said, Caesar, and, and Audrey's the one who's got all the data today, but what we've learned from, about Texas and Ohio, which do have background checks, is, is basically we have learned that those background checks did nothing to prevent either of the incidents. So there's the science he's talking about, the science, the data would argue against uh, uh, the effectiveness of background checks. That seems to be the case nationwide, that background checks have not prevented uh, these kind of tragic uh, uh, shootings. And yet, there's an emotional attachment to this issue. And more than that, not just emotion, there's a rage Mm-hmm. among people who are sick and tired of people, of this sort of awful violence. Exactly. And so if you were to ask me if I were advising any candidates who are running in the 7th Congressional yeah. District, uh, you know, if you got folks like Brenda Lopez who would bring a lot of credibility to this conversation, uh, that it's now, be- because it's now become tied emotionally to this issue of immigration and some of these incredible uh, words that are being used to describe the Latino community and, and what's happening, words like invasion. Uh, and so just, you know, if, if I'm advising someone in the 7th Congressional District, uh, I would make sure I tie a connection between this issue of gun safety and immigration just to show how out of touch and off base mm-hmm. uh, the Republican Party is and how much they're not really a part of the future and they're more a part of the past. And, and that is, and see, he, he, see, that's why I don't have a lot of clients because that is the emotional fear-based tactic that is currently being exactly. used that creates exactly. the divisiveness that's going on now. Exactly. It wins. Caesar exactly. would beat me. Exactly. But and, I, I think yes. my position would be morally right. It, and let me just jump back into sure. that. Leo is absolutely right. But I'm t- I, am, I am talking now from the perspective uh, of someone who's seen what works mm-hmm. and what doesn't work. Right. Regardless of whether or not, you know, something is intellectually correct or even from a values perspective, uh, fair, fair play, so to speak. And Caesar, this is what I'm asking the public. Yeah. 
we have to decide as Americans that we want a different type of political process that is less dependent on emotional manipulation. We have to demand it, and we're not. We're allowing political consultants manipulate us into emotional tyrants, right. but, and that but, has changed. But, but and I, so, for instance, I would, for instance, the gun control of 1968 was highly debated. I'm looking at a study right here, right now, um, the discriminatory history of gun control. So as if I were to use a fear-based tactic, I would say go to the University of Rhode Island and look at how people have used gun control and mental health connection to hurt African-Americans' right. rights. I, I got to get to a break. I, I know you want to jump in. I'll come back. I got to take a break. One. I have no problem with continuing this conversation. I do, Galloway, one thing I do want to ask you to weigh in on before we take the break is that Leo Smith's argument is that we need to downplay the emotional uh, uh, feelings, the, the emotions that surround this issue. And, 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 you know, the emotions are being played on both sides of this thing. One thing you cannot overlook is the massive number of guns that are in play in the United States. The massive States. number of guns and in how small a number of hands they actually yes. are. Yes, right. yes. All right, let's do this. Uh, Caesar... And Leo and Audrey, I think they're going to keep talking about this, whether I want to change the subject or not. So let's see if that's true when we come back from this break. Now is the perfect time to clean out the garage and get rid of that car you no longer need. You'll face the coming months with a fresh start. And by donating your used car to GPB, you'll even get a tax deduction. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or donate securely online at gpb.org slash cars. And thanks. An American missionary moved to Uganda and opened a center for severely malnourished children, but she had no medical training. When dozens of kids died, people started to ask questions. We couldn't imagine a human being without skill taking in people that were almost on their deathbeds. I'm Ari Shapiro. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. It's 4 till 7 today on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. They want their... Audrey Haynes, she's already begun. Oh, we never stopped. While they, we were still <laughs> we in a break. We never stopped, no. Uh, okay, I wanna, as if we don't have enough to debate, I want to add one element. Uh, Tom Faust, right before we walked into the studio to do the show, said to me, did you see the Walmart news? And I said, you know, I, I saw a headline. I didn't get to read it. Uh, Walmart, Audrey, you're nodding. Walmart, in response to El Paso, has they have taken action. They have banned the display of violent video game uh, uh, teasers, trailers in their stores. Yes, and taken down, um, you know, the the cardboard cutouts that may be violent. So your Call of Duty teasers, the and those games, actually the display games that you can go and play, they're going to take those down too. So way to go, Walmart. Uh, kind of astonishing that that was where they went. Uh, but no. but but they are still going to sell the guns. Well, apparently. I mean, we'll see if there's going to be any action Well, there's some controversy there because they've had a number of employees who have begun protesting, um, you know, within Walmart's confines. And they have some um, uh, higher level executives that have some qualms about whether or not Walmart should be selling uh, the guns that they're selling. All right. Um, let's, I, I, Caesar, you really were chomping at the bit there to get in. As we were discussing this whole question of data about what works and what doesn't in terms of gun laws and the emotion, the hunger that people have for something to change. It's the chanting. It's the chanting that President Trump heard, that uh, uh, legislate, that congressional leaders that heard. Governor DeWine that Governor DeWine in Ohio Oh, heard. Governor DeWine got, do something, do something. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I think it's it, it would be wonderful and ideal if we could be in a world where we would are driven. Our actions are driven by, you know, you know, data, uh, and what data means. And so, but uh, but that's just not the case, unfortunately. But, but, it, but it is driven by data because they they have the data on who is going to be responsive to these emotional uh, sound bites. Well, let me put it a different way. Yes, you're absolutely right. But when you're actually articulating the the arguments, 
uh, what's driving it is really these emotion points. Yes. And and I, just, I hate to say it. I think with respect to this issue, it has now been tied to immigration. Sure. It was tied to immigration by the actions of this person in El Paso uh, who, who, made, who had a manifesto that talked about uh, Mexicans. Uh, and it was tied to the issue of immigration from a policy standpoint by President Trump. And, and, he, and the synagogue in uh, Pittsburgh. Yes. yes. And so, I mean, so when he tied those two together, that was almost like giving the killer in El Paso a high five and a pat on the back. Well, I think you were uh, still trying to make your way in. You were probably in the lobby when we pointed out uh, the story that's just moved, and I'll repeat it for our listeners who are joining us late, is that police in El Paso have just confirmed that the shooter, the shooting suspect, in fact told them he was targeting Mexicans. He said it specifically when he was arrested and then confessed to the crime, according to reports now from both AP and the Washington Post. So it's more than just speculation based on the manifesto. Uh, To get out of this uh, part of the conversation, Jim, uh, Audrey had a lot of data. Let me just very quickly say, so did you at the AJC in a January poll just a number of months ago, 78% support raising the minimum age in Georgia for purchasing an assault weapon from 18 to 21. 82% oppose allowing gun owners to carry concealed weapons without permits. And that's important because Governor Kemp is uh, an advocate of this. Yeah, the entire Republican field for governor in 2018 endorsed that idea. Okay, so we're going to watch how this plays out on a legislative uh, level when the 2020 session comes up. It'll be interesting to see whether, in fact, the governor, whether the speaker, whether Republican leaders uh, get more involved in what they decide they want to do, whether, Jim, they think they're going to lose, potentially lose seats if they don't act. Exactly. All right. Um... So let's very, you know, if you're, if you're watching CNN, if you're watching Fox, if you're watching MSNBC, choose your poison. Uh, you're hearing plenty about the debate that's going on in Washington over whether or not Congress should uh, come back in session, should break its recess, to, its summer recess to come back. Mitch McConnell says absolutely not. Nancy Pelosi has sort of stayed out of the picture. Her body has already passed Uh, a background check, and the Senate has so far refused to act on it. So, Audrey, now the president weighs in and more than once over the last couple of days has said, yes, I believe we do need background checks. We can't allow weapons to get in the wrong hands. I wonder somehow when he uses the language, whether he's really talking about background checks or red flag, but we'll find out more. But, But what's your expectation and, and McConnell, too, is, is saying we need to look at this seriously. Are well, we really going to see action in Congress? And is the president going to stay, stand by his comments this time? Well, you know, that's a tough question to ask. Because I mean, to answer, because we've seen this happen before. And we know that the president will come out. He, he's had a roughly kind of bad week in general with a lot of other policy areas. So he needs a win. And he said today that um, his base gives him more power over the Senate than he's had before. He actually said that today. I am in more of a position to have influence, and my base wants me to tell them what to do on this issue. And, and, and if, if, I had to, if I had to guess, uh, first of all, uh, uh, extending background checks to individual sales uh, has always been opposed by the NRA. Uh, they continue to raise their voices against that. So I would say that's that's of of the two items on the table, that's probably the least likely. The red flag legislation, the federal red flag legislation, would really just be a series of grants and kind of permission for states to engage it. Right. So there would be another front. Yeah. And uh, and we have and, legislation coming from Lindsey Graham. And uh, and and and, and, and and also important Marco Rubio. Yes. In in Florida, which is all important in the presidential contest. Yeah. 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 And, and and I think. I think if Democrats were smart, this this Republican president that we have right now is probably the best chance Democrats have on moderating this issue of, of gun rights and background checks and, and even having exemptions on HIPAA laws and schools. I think this president is probably more likely than any Republican we've had in a long Caesar, time. I know you're frowning, but what, what Leo Smith is suggesting is that it's Nixon going to China. Who could have opened China other than a conservative, well, really a moderate Republican president? That's his case for why Trump has the likelihood of making having success when others might fail. 
Well, I think from a, I get Leo's <laughs> point, but I think from the Democrats' perspective, I think that the perspective of the Democratic Party is we we really need to get Trump out, and after he's gone, uh, then we can really push uh, for some sensible gun safety laws. And I don't think there's a lot of confidence, quite frankly. I mean, I, I heard the words that came out of the president's mouth about being able to have an impact on the Senate. But I just don't think he has. A well, lot of and, and that, Audrey, is really one of the reasons I think many Republicans, our congressional delegation, for instance, has said very little about this. David Perdue has been asked about it. He said basically, well, I'm looking at it. Depends on what they the language is. I don't think they're quite confident that the president does have their backs on this yet. No, and and they look for cover. But I, I will say that one of the reasons the Senate is um, the impediment is because, you know, basically, by the way the Senate is set up, there is overrepresentation of all of those red states that are primarily rural, which is primarily where gun owners, particularly Trump-based gun owners, are. So, you know, the likelihood, if you were looking at probabilities... Um, the probability of anything getting through is not going to happen unless there's buy-in by the Senate. And then there is some bipartisan movement. I know Joe Manchin's one of Trump's favorite Democrats. Um, So maybe, but it could just be a nothing kind of of bill that gets passed. It really doesn't do much of anything. Which could be in some ways, Jim Galloway, Democrats' worst fear. There's no question that Democrats see the power of running on this issue in the 2020 election cycle. And if they give in to some kind of weak-kneed Republican bill... Yeah. It robs them of an issue. Yeah, if you, if you if if they if if Republicans win a fig leaf out of this, then uh, then uh, the, then Democrats will be robbed of an issue. Okay, it's mm-hmm. going to be really interesting. The other thing I was thinking, Jim, what do they have another six weeks on their summer break? I mean, it's, they still got a well, lot it's of after time. Labor Day, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So who knows what the heck they're going to be thinking about at yeah, that point? Yeah, part of it is I think we're in a, 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 unfortunately a reactionary environment. Yeah, and. After recess, and then, of course, you got the the election, which will kick into gear next year. I'm concerned about the American people's political stamina. I mean, I mean, just the ability to stay in tune with this issue. Yeah. So that's going to be a lot of work on the part of the Democrats to keep this issue going. All right, let's do this. Um, let's get our final break of this show out of the way now, because there are a couple of really interesting stories that relate to the Georgia elections that I'd love to get at least a little time on before we're uh, finished today. So uh, you're listening to Political Rewind. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Ross Terrell, GPB's reporter here in Atlanta, but I cover more than the state's largest city. I tell stories about the problems farmers in the southern part of Georgia are facing, and I report on transportation issues affecting the 13 metro Atlanta counties. We believe express lanes is our way to manage the amount of traffic or demand to give those users the reliable trip times that they're looking for. Stick with us to hear these stories and more. GPB News, stand with the facts. Forget Aspen and Tahoe. How about skiing Jupiter's moon Europa? It might be kind of icy skiing, a little bit more like East Coast. I'm Ira Plato on Science Friday. Take a tour of Jupiter and Saturn and their rings and moons, plus the challenges of bringing high-speed Internet to the wide-open spaces of rural Texas. How to bridge the digital divide, all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. 3 o'clock this afternoon here on GPB. Hey, we're uh, packing up uh, uh, pretty soon to uh, take all of our gear out to Augusta, where we're going to be doing the show in front of a live audience, recording it on Monday night. Jim Galloway's packing an overnight bag. I'm sure you're going to stay out out there overnight, oh, no, I aren't gotta you? Get, I got to get back and do the jolt on Tuesday. Oh morning. yeah, I guess yeah. you do. I'm going to drive back after that too. But my point is, we are going to be in Augusta at the Jesse Norman School of the Arts Monday night, a seven o'clock show. Jim Galloway uh, will be there. We've got a couple of Republican Democrat. Uh, Democratic legislator from uh, the uh, Augusta area who will be joining us. We have a reporter for one of the local TV stations, Monique Williams. Um, I don't have the whole list in front of me and I feel bad, but that's all right. That's all right. What we really want, Tom Faust, is to tell people there are probably some seats left. Go to politicalrewind.org and uh, sign up for your uh, tickets, your free tickets there. Uh, Senator Harold Jones is going to be there. Mark Newton, state rep, Republican, and, yeah, Kate Lizotte, 
Mary Kate Lazote, professor at Augusta. I'm, you know, I'm I'm parroting Faust. He's talking in my ear. Uh, Jim Jim Galloway. Uh, right before we went on the air on Wednesday's show, the news broke in the the, the uh, Political Insider at AJC.com that uh, Sarah Riggs uh, Amico's big tr- uh, car hauling business, which is a huge business. Had declared wanted, declared bankruptcy essentially. They they, they sought Chapter Eleven yeah. protection. And and I <laughs> raised the question on that show, having not had a chance to think it through, whether if you're running a company that size, which at one point uh, reported it could have a pension debt of as much as a billion dollars, two, two, billion, two billion, two billion dollars. How do you? How do you find the the wherewithal to run a Senate campaign, given what your company is faced with? How do you uh, deal with that in a campaign? And you, just to satisfy my curiosity, wrote a column about it. You were, you, were, you, were, you were listening to it on <laughs> Political Rewind on Wednesday. An hour later, I was sitting down with, with Amico talking to her about it. So what is, what is can she run for Senate with this thing uh, looming she, over she is She is not ruling it out. And okay. and it, it, it becomes, it's it's she intends to make it, uh, if she does, she, she intends to make it part of her campaign biography. I mean, the, I mean... Look, look. This is this. This takes us back to the Great Recession, which has really changed the landscape politically. Uh, uh, it, it has just. It, it has really severed that link between between uh, financial reputation and political viability. And it is. And basically, what her situation was. Uh, she is. She. This is. Uh, Jack Cooper is. They've got sixty locations across Mexico, U.S., and, and Canada. They're, they are a union company, which is unusual for Georgia. Yeah. All right, and so they've they've provided health care, they've provided retirement benefits, and they have bought. They they, they are part of a a pension, a multi employer pension that's going south very very quickly, and is probably going to crater about sometime in twenty twenty five without some help. And so and and it's you know they've only got three thousand employees. There are, there are something like one point three million employees. In, uh, uh, workers in the United States that are in this situation. But, you know, I got to say, it, you know, it sounds like well-intentioned company providing all these benefits for employees. Right. But, why, if I were if, she, if, if I were a Republican <clears throat> running against her, if she were to win the nomination... Yeah, but, yeah, but, but, but look at look look at Sonny, Sonny Purdue and David Purdue. They had a trucking company. Yeah. It went belly up in 2015. Audrey, how does this... Uh, how would this play into a Senate race for her? Well, it fits into a narrative that she can sell as, you know, look, I've... I've, I've we had a company. We tried to do the right thing, unlike many other companies. And people are concerned about their pensions. They see their future uh, with health care. And, you know, you know, do, they, do most companies even have pensions anymore? What are they going to do when they live to be 90 years old and they have to retire at 65? How do you support yourself? So she could... She could make that part of her biography and her narrative and a point on which she runs on. Caesar, and Republicans you... will say Democrats want things that they can't sustain. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. Right. That's the argument. You know, right. look at these giveaways, these big pensions, wait, wait, this health care plan. Wait. And, I, it's, I gotta... and, it's dry, and it's made her no, company go broke. There was, just a, there was just a poll that looked at government spending. And guess what? Republicans and Democrats across the board, people... We're fine with it. Caesar, have you picked a candidate for Senate, a Democratic candidate, or are you staying neutral because you have to? <laughs> well, I have I have a favorite. I haven't made any public announcements okay. yet. So uh, we can't we can't push you on this today. Uh, no, no, but I will say this. I think if anything, if if, <clears throat> if uh, Amico is thinking about running, I don't think this stops her. I just think this think this just really uh, gives her the impetus to recraft her narrative. Yeah, I think that's, okay. that's all. All right. Meanwhile, uh, another interesting story, Teresa Tomlinson, the Democrat uh, former mayor of Columbus and a longtime panelist on the show until she announced for Senate. Uh, she, this week, Jim, said that she was going to support, if she wins her Senate race, she's the nominee, beats <laughs> David Perdue. One of the things she'll work on is eliminating the filibuster on legislative matters. I... I just did a quick check of some of the bills that uh, the filibuster uh, uh, that hurt Democratic bills uh, as a result of that. Um, and, and there were things like um, the American Jobs Act, which was a, a thing that President uh, Obama put into place. It would have put a, a, a tax on people who pay inco- have incomes of over a million dollars, cap and trade, the DREAM Act was initially uh, defeated by a Republican filibuster. So 
I get that there are people who think the filibuster is arcane and disruptive. It keeps the Senate from doing anything. But you better be careful what you wish for. Yeah, what it does, what it does, it would take it would take the threshold. Uh, from 60 votes down to 50 plus uh, plus one. And look what it did, uh, Leo, in terms of Supreme Court. Now, it was the Democrats who eliminated the filibuster for federal judges, and look what it did for Democrats in trying to fight Trump's two Supreme Court nominees. So it's a tricky business to uh, try to stand up and say, I think we should eliminate the filibuster. You better make sure you're in the majority once you do that. Well, but it is getting her attention, and she needs it. No, and, and look, uh, I think uh, I mean uh, uh, Ted Ted Terry, the, the mayor of Clarkson, who's also in the in the Democratic primary race. I think yeah. he he is not quite there yet, uh, and and one of his his worries is that that it would it would increase the partisanship in in the Senate. Yeah, yeah. So it'll be interesting to watch how that uh, unfolds, Audrey. Yes, and I will tell you that one of the reasons the you know outside of the historical reasons the filibuster emerged, the way it has been used is to sort of increase the transaction costs. When something gets passed there, it sticks. And one of the problems we have when we're eroding our our institutions of decision making is that now you have decisions that are made and then they are unmade. And then AC, they... ACA is, is a perfect example. Yeah. Um, but Caesar, look, Teresa Tomlinson is a smart politician. We all know that about, about her. I'm not suggesting she ought to be the next senator. You may not agree with where she stands on a lot of issues, but it, it's not like she's naive. So when she takes a position like this, be fascinating to hear what her thinking is behind that. No, yes? I, no absolutely. And of course, she doesn't come uh, to this uh, without experience. Yeah. She was a very successful mayor of a very important city uh, here in Georgia. And so when she takes a position like this, I think we ought to listen and, and have a debate about it. I don't think a lot of people are quite there yet, but I think it's uh, you know a topic to discuss. What do you think? What do I think about it? Yeah. I, I really the, the, I like the idea of the transaction cost. I do. Honestly, uh, I think I think you really do have to be willing to put some skin in the game. And if you're going to change the rules, change the rules so that you're forcing legislators to make decisions together as opposed to lowering the bar for, you know, a slim majority to make a decision. All right. I think I think, you you know, it, it helps you now. But when you're not in a position, it, it can hurt you. Very well, my, badly. my point. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we're out of time for today's show. Audrey Haynes, yes, we are. I know you're looking exasperated, but that's the way it goes here at Political Rewind. We get talking, and the clock just speeds up. So, Audrey Haynes, thank you for being back with us. We look forward to having a lot more of you as the, as the fall proceeds. Leo Smith, a pleasure. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about whether you're still a Nethma in the Republican Party. Very quickly, are you still getting a lot of hate mail? I'm getting a lot of very positive stuff about setting a bar to make us all Republican again. Oh, okay. <laughs> Caesar Mitchell, thank you so much for fighting your way back from Gwinnett County to be with us. Jim Galloway, I'll see you in Augusta sometime late Monday afternoon as we get set to do our show out there. It ought to be fun. I'm, le- I'm, I'm hoping the Novocaine wears off before I get there. I, I thought you already had no, that. No, I got another round. Oh, Jim, Jim. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, I hope so, too. I'm uh, all right. Um, we will be in Augusta on Monday evening. We'll air that show on Tuesday. Because we're all hitting the road Monday sometime morning, uh, we're going to ha- uh, do a, a repeat of a show that aired in May that we looked at and thought was really worth your hearing again. We did a show with John Halpert, the CEO of Grady Hospital, who took us on an in-depth tour of exactly what what Grady Hospital is facing in terms of its economic issues, how Medicaid expansion would help the hospital. It's kind of a companion piece to what we did on rural healthcare at the beginning of this week. So on Monday, join us uh, for the encore of uh, our show with John Helper, and then we'll be on the air Tuesday with our show from Augusta. I'm Bill Nygut. See you next week. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Through Line wherever you get your podcasts.